You're tuned into Building a Greener Idaho. I'm your host this week, Remington Byer, and with me in studio is Karen Bubb from the City of Boise Arts and History Department. We are talking about culture in Boise and the City of Boise's cultural master plan. Um, Karen, before the break, you just mentioned that part of the work that Arts and History has done and with the sesquicentennial celebration, what it really um, enabled was this greater appreciation of infusing culture in everything that the city does and trying to really, um, in the same way that we talk about embedding sustainability so often to everything we do, mm-hmm. perhaps embedding culture into the, the ethic of the city. Is that a fair, um, a fair assumption based on what I'm reading, what I'm hearing? Yes, definitely. I think for, for me, I manage the public art program and the integration of art and and everything else uh, really came from the work that, for me, the work that I did in doing public art at the Public Works Wastewater Utility Plant or doing utility hole covers for the Live District, um, working with the Parks Department to integrate art into parks. What we started to, to really look at is that culture is not something separate. It's not just... Um, uh, something that's removed or an object. It's really about how we experience space, how we um, celebrate what's important to us, how we come together as a community to, to identify and, and um, tell each other about our values. And, and art and culture is really a, an integrated way to do that. Out of sesquicentennial came this focus on lasting environments, innovative enterprises, and vibrant communities, or LIVE is the acronym. Um, and live is something that is not, it's something that we integrate through all of our different departments. And so we, when, when doing, when deciding to do a cultural plan, it's not something that is really separate from the rest of the departments. It's really integrated into that as well as the rest of the city. And who did the plan? Was it, I mean, so often we hear about plans and it's this engineering firm or that architectural consultancy and which which cultural consultancy <laughs> was commissioned for the cultural plan for Boise? We did it. Get out. It was, it was very exciting. Actually, right. part of it was financial. It takes eighty to $100,000 to hire an outside planner. But part of it was really that we wanted that opportunity to do our very first cultural master plan ourselves. So the... Um, Department uh, let me take this on as one of, of one of my projects. I was the public art manager at that time, and I was the lead. But we work with a couple of great consultants that helped us. That were local: Amanda Ashley, Dr. Amanda Ashley, and Diane Kushlan. We also worked with um, the whole department staff. Um, Amy Fackler, who's on our staff, was an editor. Michael Zuzel, formerly the mayor's office, was also an editor, and Terry also edited. So it was really a group project. We went out into the community and did ran focus groups ourselves. We did interviews. We went to organizations and met with um, boards, really trying to identify what does culture mean to you, what is working about our cultural environment, and what is not working. Those are kind of the base level questions that we asked. And from that, we drew um, a lot of information, a lot of feedback. And then after analyzing that and sorting that out, in, in the plan we've got a more detailed SWOT analysis, but we, but we really reduced that down to five primary goals that are important to us. Um, the first one is developing cultural policy, and that, that's something like the percent for our op- policy, which mandates that 1.4% of any city capital project goes to art. Hmm. That's an integral policy that has really driven the integration of public art into our city. So looking at what what kind of policies do we have. So really a policy is anytime you identify a value and put resources behind it. 
So there are th also things like the Parks and Rec program where we have um, community centers and arts classes. That's really a cultural policy as well, even though it's not written as an ordinance. Um, the second is to enhance and preserve neighborhood places. Mm -hmm. Although the downtown is our kind of our core of our culture, all of our neighborhoods are important. So working with the Energize team, for example, out of Planning and Development Services, looking at where do we not have culture? How can we integrate and work with the neighborhood associations and really focus on the history of those neighborhoods, on putting public art in those neighborhoods? The third is maintaining and developing cultural assets. So cultural assets might be a facility um, or it might be a public artwork. So we have, um, we have staff, Josh Olson and Annie Murphy, are focused on just caring for and maintaining the close to $4 million we have invested in public art. Uh, that's over 200 pieces plus almost 200 traffic boxes, um, art wraps, mm -hmm. that they care for. And that's um, important that we care for what we've built. Definitely. And then the fourth is fostering organizations and partnerships because we realize that we can't do this by ourselves. Culture is what we all do together. So all of the nonprofit organizations, the other departments that we work with uh, throughout the city, which gets back to your previous point about this is not just Department of Arts and History alone. We're working with all the departments. Um, it comes out of our grant program. Um, we fund, uh, this year we'll provide $200,000 in grants to local organizations and individuals. Today, actually, we announced um, uh, the cultural ambassador program for the first time ever we're taking applications for individuals or organizations to be cultural ambassadors and there have been cultural ambassadors previously but this is the first mm -hmm. application yep previously the mayor's office has identified and selected without an application process who uh, they feel is um, are our cultural ambassadors so previous ones have been tree fort most recently or uh, trey mcintyre project mm -hmm. so we uh, this year we decided we're going to um, take applications for either individuals or organizations. All right. So and then the fifth and the last one is expanding our cultural resources for individuals because uh, individuals are the creative workers are really the heartbeat of a creative community. Um, we want people to live and work here who are creative and to engage them and to and hope that they stay. So how do we provide um, grants to individuals? How do we create a stronger philanthropic community that, um, and foundations that build the work of creative individuals? Can we hire them? Um, do we buy art from them? That sort of thing. Gotcha. So the, the plan itself um, is fairly comprehensive. There's a lot in there. And you've just given us a great high-level summary of the key components, the five goals of the plan. I'm curious to know if now that a lot of this is in writing, now that there's a plan that we can touch and refer to and read, what new can we accomplish? What does this enable us to do that previously perhaps was not as attainable? I think for me it raises the civic conversation it as an, as an important um, item. When, when the plan was finished, uh, uh, Terry Shoresman re uh, categorize my position so I became the cultural planner so it's so we're also one of the very few cities in the United States that has a cultural planner um, it's actually a Canadian thing we um, hey. we uh, uh, adopted this position based on a um, one from Canada and my uh, job um, is now focused on how do we talk to each other more about 
where culture fits in. How do we actually realize these projects and programs? Part of that will be through a more finer grain planning process, looking at um, doing cultural plans in neighborhoods, um, doing cultural site plans. For instance, right now we're working on a cultural site plan with a group of consultants on the Irma Heyman House, mm -hmm. which is at River and Ash. Um, it was a key location owned by a, a woman who was prominent in the African-American community. And we are hoping to um, preserve that house and make it a public place um, to celebrate that history. The James Castle House um, is another big project that we're working on in a different neighborhood that's really about the history of that neighborhood as well as James Castle's work. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, those are two, a couple examples of maybe a finer grain conversation that we hope to have um, about culture. And then <clears throat> I'm curious, and this might be too much of a stretch, but I wonder about the relationship, the nexus between culture and uh, having a cultural planner who can shine a light on the vibrancy of our culture in Boise and the creative class. And then simultaneously, uh, the, the difficulties and the constraints that one experiences in being an artist, in being part of the creative class, but perhaps in a capacity that's not economically recognized as much as perhaps software engineer or architect. Um, does the cultural master plan um, have anything to say or give any guidance on how we can better support all Boiseans, uh, including those creative class people who want to contribute and are coming here and need a place to live and a place to work? Certainly. We definitely look at um, at, as art, at artists as cultural workers. So these are people who are, are small business owners. They're entrepreneurs. They are um, making products. They're uh, promoting themselves. They're joining together in associations. So we recognize also the economic impact that these individual artists and these organizations bring to our community. We A few years ago, we participated in an Americans for the Arts study that was an economic impact study of the impact of... Um, cultural tourism, for example, if you think about Tree Fort, 15,000 people coming to Boise to see music, to come play music, that's a huge impact. The, think about all the people that go to the Idaho Shakespeare Festival, mm -hmm. um, uh, that uh, go to a, a performance at the Morrison Center and go out to dinner before, hire a babysitter. So we're um, interested from an economic development standpoint about what makes our city unique and how we support those small business uh, owners and those creative workers who are part of this um, nexus. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, perhaps not a lot of cities are doing this, but a handful of Canadian ones are. So what lessons can we learn either from those who have done this and, and what we want to emulate or from those who haven't and how we want to avoid um, certain realities that have played out elsewhere? I think Involving uh, as many people as we can in the conversation is, is really critical. To recognize that um, uh, there, all the answers aren't situated in government or in private business, or it really is in, in concert together that we have to have these conversations and make decisions. So we're really looking for partners in the, in the private industry that, are, that want to um, invest in and engage with um, artists that want to do murals in their buildings or uh, people who want to um, uh, be philanthropists, for example. Um, Ken Howell, who owns the, the building that we're in, 
um, Park Lane uh, is his company, he has invested money into an Alexa Rose Foundation, for example, which last year gave $100,000 to individuals to help them uh, forward, uh, take their creative practices forward. Hmm. Um, that uh, is significant. So a private individual contributing in that way is makes a huge impact in this community. If you if you take for example that the city's grant program is two hundred thousand, and this private individual through their foundation is giving a hundred thousand to individuals. Wow. That um, means that there's a hundred thousand dollars going into our economy. Uh, that's helping to support creative individuals to be more creative, to do more interesting things, to create opportunities for us to be audience members, to purchase their work, to go to their events. So so we're looking for people who want to engage in supporting culture and and supporting the, um, the next wave of kind of where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And if someone was listening to this program and they're interested in these opportunities that are afforded through arts and history and, and the cultural programs, where do they go to get more information on that? We have a robust website, uh, boiseartsandhistory.org. And under our opportunities page, you can get a list of um, any opportunities that are currently available. Um, we also uh, have the, the full cultural master plan on the website. So you can, if you wanted to read the plan in more depth, um, you can check it out there. Um, I would also encourage people to, um, to just get engaged in, the, in your cultural community. Um, go to events, uh, buy tickets, uh, buy memberships to the Boise Art Museum, Boise Contemporary Theater, Idaho Shakespeare Festival. Um, look for opportunities to provide um, your kids with cultural education. A lot of the arts education has been taken out of schools. How can you supplement that by um, taking them to classes, for mm-hmm. example? Great. Uh, Karen, we're getting close to the end of our show today. I want to circle back to that last question and, and perhaps just tease out and see if there's anything more there. Um, are there cities, uh, perhaps north of the 49th parallel where they've done something in terms of cultural planning that has really paid dividends in an unanticipated or unexpected way or is there something that the city of Boise has in mind right now in terms of cultural planning that is really innovative and vibrant uh, and could be lasting something that we haven't already touched on I think that the um the direction that we're going right now is really looking at uh, the cultural sites program. I mean, I, th- I think the, I, I have touched on this, but I think it's worth mentioning again, the James Castle House, which is under construction right now, is an unprecedented um, innovation uh, that the city has purchased the home of this, uh, the private home of this artist that used to live here, that we're making it into a community resource as a, um, a community center as well as an artist in residence program. There are very few cities um, in the United States that have a, an artist in residence program where an artist will come and live and work at a particular place. So so I, th- I think the James Castle house site, which should be done in uh, April of 2018, is, is really a, an incredible example of, um, of a big innovation. Great. Well, thank you for that. Um, any final thoughts to share with our listeners as we head out today? Well, I'd like to thank you for having this conversation with me. Um, I'm really passionate about Boise and really passionate about the opportunity to kind of continue to build on our, on the culture that we have here and to adapt to 
the changes that are happening in, um, in interesting and, and rich ways. So I want to um, invite your readers and your, sorry, your listeners to come out in, in the community and just get involved and um, uh, identify ways. That, feel free to email me, uh, uh, kbub at cityofboise.org, if you want to get involved and you're not sure how to get involved. I'm going to be teaching some classes through the community education program. Um, that are about the cultural planning program, another one that's about um, how to get involved in your cultural community. So you can look for those classes um, in September if you want to talk to me some more. Great, and we can link to that from our website, buildingagreeneridaho.org, where you can catch a replay of this conversation podcast version and continue the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Thank you.